Welcome to the Craft of Memory. I'm your host, Ronald Johnson. On this show, we seek to recover this beautiful art. For memory without conscious design is like an uncatalogued library. We believe this is a skill that anyone could learn. And the question is, will you seek to hone this craft? You are now listening to episode 26. Matthew Wilson is an American memory athlete and professor of economics at the University of Richmond. He was a finalist in the 2022 USA Memory Championship and is highly skilled in the art of memory. So without further ado, let us get into the episode and hope you all enjoy. So tell us a little bit about yourself and where did your fascination with the art of memory begin? I'm Matthew Wilson. I'm a professor at the University of Richmond teaching economics. I have a lot of interest. So in addition to memory, I also play chess and the piano. If you'd asked me back in undergraduate what I wanted to study, I actually would have said economics and music. But the piano audition didn't go very well. So I became economics and math, and I went to grad school for economics. So I heard about memory for the first time in graduate school as a first-year student, and there's a lot to memorize in grad school. I saw an excerpt from the book Moonwalking with Einstein, and it caught my attention. The first thing I did after reading the article was I wanted to see how good my natural memory was. So I got a deck of cards out, shuffled them, and tried to memorize as much as I could. I got to around maybe roughly 20 cards, and I was really feeling it's very um, a lot of strain at that point. I don't think I could do a whole deck at all. That felt impossible. So then I started trying the memory techniques you're talking about, make everything visual, put inside a memory palace, so like a house or building, you know. And I got to the whole deck, and that just kind of blew my mind since just a few minutes, just maybe an hour earlier, if you told me I could memorize a whole deck of cards, I would have said no way. So I was just amazed at what my potential was and there's this technique to unlock it and maybe it'll get me through grad school. Nice, nice. So it all started out with uh, Moonwalking with Einstein. Yeah. Excellent book. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a very, very good book. And uh, so you're also um, a memory athlete. You, you compete with memory. So how long have you been participating in the USA Memory Championships? And what has been your experience like so far? Um, I started competing back in 2018. I heard about the Moonwalking with Einstein book back in 2011, but I didn't really get serious about competitions until 2018. It's been gradual improvement. And as I get better, I feel more pressure each time to perform. Back in 2018, I thought I'm probably not going to make the finals, but we'll give it a shot. Maybe if I hit all my targets, get close to my records, and if the field has not gotten 
a lot stronger than it has been historically. Maybe I'll make it. And what happened was they made a scoring error and they thought that I made it. And when they corrected it, I was actually a little bit short, but they let me compete in the finals anyways. So back in 2018, I went to the finals up in Boston in um, MIT. And my goal is just to get through round one and prove that I belong there. And I did. And I got knocked out of round two, the tea party. After that, when I came back in 2019, I thought I'd be doing a lot better. Instead, I barely made it to the finals because it was a tough field in 2019. A lot of very good mental athletes out there and only eight qualifying spots in the final. 2019, I, I memorized 100 words in the first round for the final. And for the first time ever, 100 words was not good enough to advance. So I got knocked out in round one of the final. 2020 was COVID, didn't compete then. Um, they had an online competition, but I decided to pass on that. I was working on my number system and rebuilding a three-digit system for the first time. 2021, I got through the qualifier pretty comfortably. And then I got through the first two rounds of the final. I got through words. I got through the um, long-term recall, but then a tea party got me. That's been a very hard event for me. And this year is my best ever. I got fourth place in the final. Again, I got through words and got through the long-term recall, but the T-bar is just hard for me. I tried training. I, I tried writing a computer program to generate scripts of the Tea Party guests. So they tell you their name, their um, hometown, what they stay in college, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I just struggled with that event. Um, I feel like I'm getting more and more serious and I expect more of myself. I made some kind of nervous mistakes in the finals this year. Like I skipped a locus in words. I said on um, the word that was like two words after the one that I was supposed to say. And then in the long-term recall event, I was asked about mission 87. My giant, my mind jumped to August 7th because eight, seven and just kind of silly stuff like that because I got nervous. Got you, got you. Wow. So you've been you've been doing it for a while, and uh, congrats on uh, getting fourth place. That's uh, uh, definitely uh, an accomplishment. I also agree that the Tea Party event is one of the most uh, difficult events. Um, I've I've spoken to a lot of memory athletes, and uh, they all mentioned that the Tea Party. Uh, is definitely challenging. So, yeah. Yeah, so I bet where you can't go at your own pace, like with numbers, if you can't do, if you can't do maybe 630 in five minutes, like Andrea can, you don't do 600, you just do maybe whatever you're comfortable with. By the tea party, they all speak at a normal pace and you can't, you can't slow it down. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, so, so you mentioned you're you're uh, a lecturer in economics. I'm curious to know um, how did you develop uh, a passion for this field of study? What intrigues you about it? So, when I was reading the news about economics back in high school, I often felt the economic issues were harder to understand. I wanted to learn more about it. So, my first 
semester of college, I signed up for an economics class and that fueled my interest further. But it wasn't until I took a second class in economics, um, a class in macroeconomics that I really decided I, I want to major in this. And one thing that continues to fascinate me is that it's a lot more than just money. It's a whole science of human behavior. There's that um, popular book a while ago, um, Freakonomics, where the authors look at things through economic reasoning that might not be considered traditionally economics. They look at things like, will there be cheating on exams, which sounds like an education issue or an ethical issue, but he can study it through economic tools. So it's just so broad that it's more than just money. It's all about human behavior that keeps me interested. So so you would say that it's it deals with psychology and philosophy as well? Yeah, there's one field which I have done some work in, behavioral economics, which you could view as a blend of psychology and economics, though I most of them work in other areas of economics, like I do work in macroeconomics and finance, and recently some work with COVID. And you mentioned that you were at school studying economics and you had a lot of things to memorize. So in your studies, did you ever use uh, memory techniques that you have been learning um, in your personal studies? Or um, being a teacher, do you ever use uh, mnemonics when teaching? And if so, can you share with us some examples? Yeah. So in the first year of grad school, at the end of the year, they have these core exams. So you have to get you tested on everything you learned in one year of macroeconomics and also everything in one year of microeconomics. Each exam was four hours long, and you had to pass both of them in order to stay in the program. And only about half of our class made it. And the first year grad school programs, they they go to a very fast pace. Um, as one example, in my econometrics class, the very first one covered three cores of material from undergraduate, plus a few things that I had not seen before. And we had to know a full year of material in macro and micro. So I had 10 sheets front and back, um, small handwriting that I had to memorize for each one. And with memory techniques, I was able to do it. So after I passed, I shared the news with my with the other grad students. Hey, there's really amazing memory techniques that can help you remember all the stuff from your notes. And I don't think anyone else took it up, which was a bit surprising. It's amazing how powerful these techniques are, but so hard to get anyone on board and start using them. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, so when you were uh, memorizing these notes, did you use a, a memory palace? How did you structure your memory palaces? Because I'm assuming you would need a lot of them and you need to organize them in a certain way. So how did you exactly organize the information? Um, what did the structure look like? Um, I didn't have a whole lot of memory palaces back then. I didn't have to memorize every single letter of my notes because if you get the, a couple of essentials, you can usually fill in the rest with your with your general understanding. So my memory my memory palace supply back then was pretty low. 
a lot of things I had to do, like I memorize equations from models. So I might do something like I might create an image for each variable in the equation. Like what I remember was the real interest rate is R. So I thought I'll have a pirate for R because pirates go R when they like are attacking or something. So that's why we're the real interest rate. Um, other images I made, I think I just had a price, a price tag for from trying to remember P, which is price in most economics classes. And yeah, just if you have a few essentials that are hard to remember naturally, if you have those in place, you can fill in the gaps with what I understand. Okay, so you use your your natural memory um, for the more things that you, for the things that were easier to memorize, but for the more difficult things, right. you use the memory palace and encoding. Yeah. Okay, okay. That makes sense. So you are also an expert in chess. Um, so, so when did you start and how did you become interested in playing chess seriously? Um, the journey began back in 1998 when I got a chess set for Christmas and I was immediately taken by the game. First thing I wanted to do afterwards was I wanted to get a book from the library to learn more about it. There weren't a whole lot of chess for kids books back then, so I picked a more, I guess, um, adult book where some words like prophylaxis were hard to understand, but I got a couple general ideas out of it. I started competing um, probably less than a year afterwards. There was a tournament for elementary school kids, and I I finished at um, two wins, two losses, and a draw, so nothing all that special. I was making steady progress for a while, and then once I got to around maybe... 1900 so like the top five percent or so of tournament players i hit a big plateau and going to grad school did not help with getting off the plateau because grad school sucks all your time and energy but in 2016 i started to make progress again and now i'm an expert which is i'm currently right now playing on the top top two or three percent of tournament players oh nice so w would you consider yourself a competitive person? Yeah. Chess and memory are both very competitive. And I ask like competition in general. If there's a competition, I want to be involved in it. So um, are you familiar with uh, Simon Reinhardt and his chess memorization techniques? Yeah. I saw he had an interview on Chessbase, a popular chess website with news and stuff like that. I saw his interview there. I think he talked about using mnemonics to memorize his opening preparation. So in chess, tournament players will often have their first 10, 15, maybe 20 moves all memorized. And at the higher levels, that can be quite a big burden to keep it all in your head. I actually don't use mnemonics for memorizing my opening preparation, even though I have um, about about 30 pages of notes to memorize for just the opening phase. That's because for memorizing chess moves, I can do that naturally pretty well. There was a well-known study in the memory world where they had um, 
they're memorizing chess positions. So one group was chess masters and the other group was, I guess, beginners. If the positions were taken from a tournament game, the masters had almost perfect recall. And I could do that too. If you showed me a position from a tournament played by grandmasters, I could probably memorize it at a glance. But if the pieces were all placed entirely randomly over the board, so not from a game, then the masters were no better than the beginners at memorizing it. So that's because the higher level players, we see the patterns and that makes it a lot easier to memorize. If I just play over the stuff in my notes once or maybe twice, I've got it. I don't need a memory palace for that at all. I think maybe at the higher levels, maybe like international master or grandmaster, then it might be helpful to have mnemonic techniques. Of course, they can see patterns too. They can see them better than I can, but at that level is just such a massive volume to memorize that I think the mnemonics might be an edge. Yeah, yeah. I Yeah, okay. I see what you're saying. So you would say initially one could uh, depend on their natural memory, but the higher they go, let's say like a grandmaster level, then that's what would give them an edge in competition. Yeah. Also things like um, with blindfold chess, where you can play without even seeing the pieces in the board. I can do that naturally. And probably anyone, maybe 16, 700 plus could do that naturally too, without any mnemonics. So that'd be like an above average tournament player, or I can reproduce a game from memory after playing it. Um, pretty naturally without writing anything down or any mnemonics. And that's also very normal for people at my level. So what are some of the differences between the chess world and the memory sports world? Do you see any differences, any similarities between the two? Like in terms of competition, uh, the culture, and, and so forth? Yeah, they're both very competitive. Um, they, they attract a lot of the same kinds of people. I'm not the only chess and memory guy like um, James, your previous guest on the last episode. It's also a chess and memory guy. At the finals, we had um, Zachary Tannenbaum, who's also he's a chess master. He's actually ahead of me. And there's Timar Gureyev, who set the world record for blindfold chess by using memory techniques to help him. So yeah, a lot of overlap in the types of people who compete in them. One big difference I noticed that with chess, it's more head-to-head. -head. You compete directly with somebody. With memory, you could you could do it without a competition at all. You could just do it solitary and try to compete against, try to beat your last um, personal record, which we try to do in training every day. So I feel like it's more of a head-to-head -head competitiveness with chess that you don't quite get in the memory world and, mm. and also with memory because it's not head-to-head -head, someone could just come out of nowhere and maybe win their first competition whereas with chess you have to actually be in competitions and work your way up you don't you don't win your first tournament in chess it's it's a long journey you would say yeah because okay. you have to actually be in tournaments to get better you can't just train at home forever expect to get to master level that way Mm, got you got you okay 
So um, let's uh, discuss a little more about uh, memory techniques. So what are your card and number systems? For numbers, I use a three-digit system. So that means that for each three-digit number, I have an image for it. For cards, I have a two-card block system. So the block system is a trick that can reduce the number of images you need. So for example, um, my image for, let's say, 117, that's a fish. So 117 could be ace of spades, seven of clubs, or it could be ace of diamonds, seven of clubs. So the way you avoid mixing them up is that if the first card is red, I place it as the first image in the next locus. So if it's ace of diamonds, we go to a new location. If the first card is black, so ace of spades, seven of clubs, in that case, we keep adding images to the same locus. So because ace of diamonds, seven clubs, and ace of spades, seven clubs have the same image, you don't need as many images. So there's a, about um, about 2,700 possible two-card combinations with a two-card block system like I use. You only need about 1,350. So it makes it a lot easier to learn your system. Nice. And do you find this uh, system, how, how did you adjust to the system moving from, I'm not for sure what you used before, but I know in each locus you can have a varying number of images and it's it's more linking based. Um, how did you adjust to this different way of, of memorizing? Did it take a while for you to get used to it or was it a little more natural and, and easy to you? Um, it took a long time and it was, it was painful to make that transition. So my old card system probably shouldn't even be called a system. I was doing, um, if I had to say, maybe like king of spades, two of spades, six of diamonds, I might visualize the king of spades, the, like a big card in the front lawn, digging two spades into the ground and finding six diamonds. I make some kind of story like that and go through my memory palaces. I got surprisingly good with that. I got to around a deck in a minute, but I know with that system, if it even deserves to be called a system, um, you don't win competitions like that. And you, there's a limit to how far you can go, how fast you can go with it. So going from that to the two card block system, it just takes so much time to get to the point where I can see a two card pair and instantly think of my image because there are so many pairs to keep in mind. It was similar for numbers. So for numbers, I was using a two digit system for a long time. I knew all those very, very comfortably. Trying to expand that to three digits just, again, just takes a lot of work. What I was initially doing when I was trying to learn my systems was I just go through it all in order. So I go like 100, my image for 100 is um, Ben Franklin. And 101, that's an old econ professor. And then 102 is a soccer ball. I just listen through in sequence. The problem, though, is that when you try to memorize the numbers in, a, in a, like memory league or speed numbers, they don't happen in sequence and try to jump from 102 to um, my image for I don't know, 820, polar bear. 
that was a jump I couldn't make very quickly. So what I really had to do is be able to do the images, not just in sequence, but in a random order. And if you have so many images, like a thousand for numbers, unless you memorize a 3000 number, digit number every day, you're not gonna see all of your images once a day. So I saw something about Alex Mullen, probably the goat of memory, you could argue, using what he called speed drills. And I think what that involves is you look at all your numbers, I put them in a random order, and you don't try to memorize them, you just try to think as quickly as possible, what's my image for that number? And I have a computer program to put them all in random order. That's how I ensure I see each of my images at least once a day. I do the same thing for the two card pairs. Most of the two card pairs overlap with my numbers. So all the um, all the number cards from like the aces to the tens, those are all linked to my number system. Some of the face cards are too, but a couple of face card pairs are not linked in my number system. So I have to have separate images for those. So I have all the combinations of those two card pairs that are not in my number system. I also go through those in the same way, make sure they're all in random order. I can think about the image as quickly as possible once I see the pair. And that gave me a lot of extra speed. Nice. So you do uh, speed drills um, in order to make sure that um, you can have quick recognition. So would you say when you transition, the most difficult part was just mastering all of the images um, more so than having the variable number of images in each locus, like with the the two block system? Yeah, for sure. Um, the variable number of images is not a big problem, but just I sometimes I hit a blank. What's the image for 315? And I just pause for maybe a second or two. And if you're going to do that in competitions, you're not going to be fast. So just kind of get instantaneous the link between the number and the image. Okay. So, so how did you, so, so you mentioned you try to do, um, see all of them every single day and you, right. and you still do that today as well. Oh yeah, for sure. I got to keep it sharp because unless I do a 3000 digit number, or do a ridiculous number of decks of cards, I'm not going to see them all in training. Got you, got you. Okay. Um, so how many images do you put per location? Do you do two, the, the traditional two images per location, or is it one or three? How, mu how much do you, you put per locus? Yeah, for everything except cards, it's two images per location. Um, I like that because I noticed early on that the images interact with each other in some way that makes them more memorable. So sometimes I might see the first image clearly, but only maybe part of the second image. If I see how they interact, that can bring back the full uh, full picture of what that second image was supposed to be. So having a little bit of interaction there, I think, is key to building some speed and accuracy. Now with cards, though, the two-card block system your images, your um, low side rather, could become very, very crowded. So usually once I get to around like four or so images, one location, I'm just going to automatically move to the next location no matter what. Yeah, the card is supposed to be added to the previous one. Um, it does happen, but it's only once every couple of decks. You just make one mental note 
every few decks, okay, I'm going to break up this long sequence here, then it's still going to be accurate. Okay. So you, so you make a mental note. Okay. That's good. So um, they introduce Lumosity in the USA memory competitions. And it seems as if this is an event in which uh, there, you, you can't really have a system for it. Like, uh, you know, we can have the two card system, PAO uh, and so forth. But this, it seems to be relying more on natural memory. But out of curiosity, uh, do you have any strategies or techniques for Lumosity? Or do you think it's merely a matter of practice? At first, I thought it was impossible to strategize for Lumosity. I thought it was all just natural. But then when I was at the, um, the championship, some people talked about when they ask about their high scores, how they achieve their high scores, there actually is strategy. And I just never really thought about that a whole lot. In general, I, I didn't put a whole lot of emphasis on the Lumosity stuff. I figured that I was good enough in the memory league portion of the qualifier that I could just run up the square in numbers and still qualify safely. I did train a little bit with the Lumosity. I thought it was just a matter of repeat enough times and you'll eventually get better. Um, I'm definitely not one of the better ones at Lumosity, but my goal is just survive Lumosity or run up the score in numbers. Got you, got you. Okay. Yeah, I, I see um, other competitors do that as well, that they focus on one of the two, um, but they do, they have really high scores in one of them, and then they could uh, make the, the qualifications. Okay. So... What does your memory training schedule look like when you're training for a competition? How long do you train? How do you divide the disciplines throughout the week? Uh, do you use memory league? Do you use I, the IM software? Um, what are the disciplines that you, you try to train in? I emphasize, possibly overemphasize cards and numbers. I really like to want to go to a international competition with like the IAM or maybe some other organization, there's at least a couple other out there. And their competitions are heavily weighted towards cars and numbers. So with IAM, I think um, uh, 10 disciplines, seven of them involve cards or numbers in some way. So that's been the focus of my training. A typical day of training is probably about two hours. So I go through the drills like we talked about earlier, making sure I can link each um card, pair, or number to its image as quickly as possible. Then I go through four decks of cards uh, one by one. I don't try to memorize all four decks in one go. It's four rounds of speed cards. And the rest is mostly memory league. Um, I was talking to John Graham a while ago who won the championship again this year. And he was telling me all about how memory league helped him get a lot faster the events are at most one minute, so you get pretty much instant feedback on whether what you did worked or not. So I think that's helpful. I do a bit of work on on words as well and um, images, but it's mostly cards and numbers. If I'm training for a competition, though, uh, it's going to be more than two hours a day. It's when I was doing the finals of the USA Memory Championship, that long-term recall event alone was probably at least an hour a day, if not 
if not two. We had to memorize things like space shuttles and we had to memorize WWE wrestlers and we had to memorize um, Fortune 99 companies. There's just so much material there that I had to spend a ton of time just on that. So I think the best, the big thing about getting good at memory is yeah, put in the hours. Yeah. So how do you do two hours straight or is it one hour in the morning, one hour in the afternoon? What is, what does that look like? Um, the drills, I kind of break up a bit because the drills by their nature are just boring. I try to do some of that, um, during the day and maybe while I wait for dinner to cook, I'll do some more drills. Once I get to the memorization part, I do that pretty much in one block of time. So two hours a day. Um, have you ever, have you ever, uh, lost motivation or ever said to yourself, Oh, I don't feel like training today. Um, if so, how do you overcome these thoughts and stay disciplined and consistent in training? What What are some of the things you you try to do in order to keep this habit of of training? It's mostly fear that if I skip a day or two, I'll be noticeably worse. Even just missing a weekend for whatever reason, get distracted or whatever, my results will be noticeably worse on a third day. So that fear keeps me training hard. Mm. Got you. So, so you, you sort of try to put in your mind, if I skip a day, if I skip a weekend, my results will, my, my performance will go down. Yeah. So you, you try to think on that. Okay. So are you, are you still in, involved in, in chess and playing the piano and so forth? Or right now your, your primary interest is uh, memory sports and memory training. What, what does that look like with all of your other interests? I'm trying to juggle them all, but they're only 24 hours in a day. It's hard to stay good at everything because they all require so much energy. I really like to be able to combine some of these interests. I've been trying to make a video for a while now where I'll be playing blitz chess while memorizing a deck of cards. I like the uh, the blitz chess aspect because you only have five minutes for the whole game but also means five minutes for the game plus the deck of cards. So that really puts a time constraint on it. It's been very hard to juggle because you can't just um, make random moves. You got to think about your moves and also balance your attention with the deck of cards. I haven't been able to pull it off yet. Sometimes I'll win the game, but then I'll mess up my deck of cards or I'll get the deck of cards right and lose the game. To try and get them both to work out has been very difficult. A, another thing I'm trying to combine is a chess and piano. I made a video a couple of years ago where I memorized a deck of cards while playing the piano. And maybe I picked a more popular song. I picked something that was very classical. Maybe it could be talent show material, I'm hoping. Yeah, so, that, that would be cool. Because memory is not really a spectator sport. A lot of stuff just happens in our heads. And watching a memory competition live is not as exciting as say regular sports like basketball or whatever. So if I had memory plus piano, at least I have something to listen to while I'm memorizing. And that can, I think it'd make it more appealing to a broader audience. 
yeah i've never i've never seen anyone do that before i think that would be a great idea if you could give one piece of advice for a memory athlete who wants to participate in the usa memory championship what would it be it's mostly a matter of you gotta put in the hours um if you probably train for an hour a day you could be competitive at the usa championship you don't need a full two-car block system or a three-digit system to try to win a championship you probably need something serious like that but if you just want to get something respectable that shows the amazing power of memory you can get by with a pao for cards and even just a two-digit system for numbers and as long as you put in enough time you can perform very well I'd emphasize you probably shouldn't go for a big three-digit system or two-car block if you're starting out in a memory competition. It just takes so long to do it that I think maybe beginners would get discouraged. Because it takes so long, I think um, someone who does a two-digit system very well versus someone who is just starting out with a three-digit system, the guy who does a two-digit system well is going to do better. It takes a lot of time for the investment in the three-digit to pay off. So I'd say train a lot and have a simple system. All right. So it's it's all about putting in the hours and, and making sure to train. Yeah. Okay. Uh so if someone wants to uh follow you, where where can we find you on social media and and what is the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to be on YouTube where my channel is Matt S. Wilson. Okay, so Matt S. Wilson. Okay, so I'll make sure to uh, leave that in the show notes. And is there anything else that you would like to share before we close? Any final words to our audience? That should be all. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Yeah, anytime. It was a pleasure uh, speaking with you and and learning more about you. And yeah, it was it was great. Appreciate it. All right. Um, I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you.